thoughts. <clears throat> Let's have a word of prayer together, and then we'll get into our study. So I invite you to bow your heads and hearts with me. Father in heaven, we do thank you so very, very much for this beautiful Sabbath day that you've provided. We thank you so much that uh, you have preserved the day. You created it, and you've preserved it throughout all time to spend with us. It's an awesome thought to think the, the creator of all things would want to be with us, let alone create a day to be with us, especially. And so we praise your name for that. We thank you so very, very much. We thank you for your holy word that you've uh, sustained, you've protected throughout, um, throughout time. Uh, so that we can gain instruction and uh, learn, uh, learn your ways, learn more about you, about your character. We are thankful for the Holy Spirit that you give to those who, who ask, and we ask for the Holy Spirit now. And the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. That's what you've told us in your word, and we, we claim that promise right now. Uh, we thank you so much for Jesus, because without him, we wouldn't exist. And uh, we thank you for your mercy and your love in sending all heaven to be with us and uh, save us from our sins and from death. Lord, we pray that you forgive us our sins. We pray for holy angels to be present with each and every one. Drive back the forces of evil that we may have indeed a spiritual rest today. And to gain a knowledge that you have for us on this special day. A knowledge uh, of truth that we may um, used to, to better our characters and to share with others so that we may be on that sea of glass one day. Very, very soon we believe, Lord. Let us hasten our Lord's coming uh, by what we think and say and do. And please give me the words to speak this morning. It's a very solemn subject, one that we need to understand correctly. So may they, these be your words, Lord, and not mine. I humbly ask this in Jesus' name, for he's worthy. Amen. Amen. I've entitled this particular study, this message, Visitors Among Us. And like I said uh, a little earlier, we're going to get into the subjects of uh, the mystery of angels, you know, uh, demons, possession, uh, and, and sin. What is sin? How to be an overcomer? Uh, temptation, those things in the coming weeks. So um, please stay tuned, friends, and study to show yourself approved, as Paul said. Um, I mentioned Pastor Brooks uh, earlier, and one of the things that I really appreciated about him was uh, he said, and it always encouraged us to study for ourselves and to check your preacher out. And he said, even me. You know, check me out. Look in the Bible for yourself to see that what I'm saying is true. And I say the same thing, friends. For we're interested in truth, not opinion. I grew up in the 60s. Here we go. I grew up in the 60s and 70s without um, attending much church or having much association really at all with any religion. Um, as a family, we were taught and lived by the golden rule. And, and Christian principles, though I, I never recognized it at the time as really being Christian. Um, you know, that's just the way it was, I thought. Uh, my outside influences were pretty much from a secular slant and, and not a religious one. Uh, I listened a lot to... 
uh, a lot of AM radio, you know, back then there was no FM, <laughs> no FM band, and uh, mainly out of Chicago, WLS, you know, the uh, 50,000 watt blowtorch, they used to say, and, uh, you know, I listened to that a lot, and we had one black and white television, uh, my brother and I were allowed to watch it some weeknights, and at certain times on the weekend, believe it or not, there were rules we had in our home. Um, and even then, uh, the TV shows were promoting one form of spiritualism or another, though I would say more subtle than what is shown today. And uh, whether believers or not, we were actually getting introduced to doubts concerning faith and doubts concerning God and, and more into questions about the paranormal though I had no idea it was happening, as I thought it was all normal, <laughs> you know, uh, at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it did, though, it did raise questions in my mind that later on the Holy Spirit, I believe, used to woo me uh, to search for the truth of why I was here. And that led me, ultimately, to the Bible for answers. You know, back then there were shows like, and even before the 60s, I think in the late 50s or sometime in the 50s, there were shows like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, um, the, the Twilight Zone, uh, Night Gallery, and, and these shows brought such doubts about the origins of man into many minds, and they spark unholy imaginations. Um, with each generation, you can see as you look back, each generation of program, there was more and more subtle doubts placed upon belief in God and more focus upon the paranormal tales, friends of Satan, with programs like Tales from the Dark Side. And uh, one of my favorites back then was called Kolshak, the Night Stalker. And, and some of you who are older probably uh, remember these shows. Today we see the incredible results, I believe, of that camel's nose in the tent with all-out spiritualism in most every program on television and in movies. It's blatant now. It's right out there in your face. Now, one particular program that is a result of these earlier jaunts is called The X-Files. The series revolves around two FBI special agents who investigate X-Files. And the X-Files are their marginalized, unsolved cases involving paranormal phenomena. You know, uh, one agent believes in the existence of aliens and the paranormal and a government cover-up of those things, while the other is a medical doctor and a skeptic assigned to make scientific analysis of these discoveries in order to debunk the other agent's work, uh, therefore showing him the scientific truth, you see. Showing him the results of science, though, does not dissuade his belief in the, the paranormal, uh, as there is still a doubt to the source of the evidence, you see, which leaves the agent with the reoccurring statement that, quote, the truth is out there. And this is an accurate statement. 
Which brings me to our topic of study concerning... Let that motorcycle go by. Um, It brings me to our topic uh, concerning the questions about the supernatural or the paranormal. Uh, Yes, indeed, friends, the truth is out there. And a lot of it has been shared with us by the Creator. His Word tells us that there are visitors among us Uh, Again, which is the title of our study. So, I want to talk to you about something that really most Christians actually know very little about. And yet it's important for us to know, and above all, it's very comforting uh, actually to know. We do need to be cognizant of the fact that there's another realm, another dimension that we cannot see with our physical sight. And yet it's just as real as the world we're living in right now with the things we do see all around us. The Apostle Paul spoke of these things in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18. You'll notice when he said, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, Just as things eternal are far more important than things that are temporary, so that which is unseen is far more important than the things that are seen. And because this is true, I'd like to talk to you about the ministry of of angels, holy angels, in, in our behalf. Now, the words angel and angels are used about 300 times in the Bible. That's the King James Version. And that doesn't include references to the two classes of angels that you find mentioned as cherubims and seraphims. And so, when something, I believe, and you've heard me say this before, when something is mentioned that many times in God's Word, uh, I think it's important enough that we should know something about it. Because it's there for a reason, isn't it? Now, according to the Strong's Concordance, the word angel in Hebrew is malach. It's malach, and it's it's from an unused root word meaning to dispatch. To dispatch as a deputy. Uh, It it also means a messenger, but specifically of God. Um, That is, an an angel. That's why they interpret it as an angel. Uh, but also, it can be interpreted, which is very interesting, because it's, it's a, remember, dispatch as a deputy, as a messenger, it sometimes is looked at as a prophet or a priest or a teacher, uh, an ambassador, you know. Um, and so, that's what Strong's has to say about it with the Hebrew. Now, in the Greek, uh, the word for angel is angelos. It's derived from two words that mean to bring tidings. Uh, again, a messenger. And, and, but in the Greek, it implies, can imply in some situations, uh, to a pastor. Which is interesting, isn't it? A messenger, right? Uh, an angel messenger. So you could say, you look at both of these, you could say that an angel is a messenger deputy that is dispatched by God. Couldn't you? You look at these definitions. Which really struck me. Um, 
because as a kid, I used to like uh, to watch westerns on television, and uh, I still have uh, issues with that today. <laughs> I can like to, you know, reminisce and I'll watch some old westerns. Um, but uh, uh, as a kid, I grew up on westerns uh, on television, and inevitably, when you watch these old shows, uh, the bad guys would do something wrong. Let's say, like, rob a bank. And the sheriff would gather together a posse, right, from men in town, and what would he do? He would deputize them to go after those evil men and bring them to justice so they couldn't do any more harm to, you know, all the law-abiding citizens in the town. And so when I, th- when I think of one in authority dispatching deputies to take care of the bad guys... Well, I think of God deputizing holy angels and dispatching them to take care of the evil angels. Again, friends, that are they're bent on doing harm to God's law-abiding people. And to me, it's, it's comforting to know that God has 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of holy angels waiting in the ranks to do his bidding when his children are in trouble. What about you? Isn't that comforting to know? And I and I don't know how many 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands is. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't think any of us on earth really knows uh, what that number is. All we know for sure is that there are plenty of them to do God's bidding. And praise God for that. Amen. You know that more than likely, all of us have seen an angel, or perhaps angels at some point in our lives, without even realizing it. Perhaps many times, even. Because angels are able to enter our dimension, they're able to take on human form, and uh, uh, that's just not my opinion. There are several examples of this that take place in the Bible. And so, that's why we read in Hebrews 13 and verse 2, where it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In the early to to mid-80s, I was a practicing heathen, doing most all the things that heathens and pagans do, you know, when I was reintroduced to God's law. Now, I say reintroduced because I had read parts of the Bible before, and I was somewhat familiar with its stories and the Ten Commandments. I mean, every Easter they show the Charlton Heston movie, don't they? The Ten Commandments on television. So I was somewhat familiar with God's law uh, growing up. uh, But I was unsure of its place, of its role, of its uh, immutability, let's say. Um, until my brother shared with me Bible prophecy. And in doing that, I was shown the role of God's law, specifically the Sabbath truth. Um, And at that time, I was rather indifferent to it, really. But the Holy Spirit, and praise God for this for all of us, friends, the Holy Spirit was after my heart, like He is after all our hearts. And I began to be convicted by the truth I was learning. So much so that I was in a bar one time, remember, heathen, doing those heathen things. But I was in this bar one time and I was philosophizing with other patrons about Greek thought. It's 
kind of odd, isn't it, to be in the bar doing that? Um, but I was I was philosophizing uh, with these other patrons about about Greek thought and such, and I began to share with them the truth concerning the correct day of the Sabbath, the seventh day. And it was at this time in that bar, surrounded by a small crowd, and they were intently listening to me, that a fellow sitting at the bar who had theretofore been unnoticed hadn't noticed him before this time. He spoke up and he asked me a question. And he asked, if you know this truth, what are you doing here? Which was straight to the point, wasn't it? And of course, I responded. I mean, there was silence after that that question. And I responded that it was a very good question. It was a very good question. It made me think. And to this day, I tend to believe that that may have been an angel, sin of God, to prick my heart. Now, I know that there are places that angels, and we'll get to, to uh, uh, some of the, the uh, uh, quotes to back this up, but, uh, but I know there are places that angels will not go with us if we choose to go, but I also believe that times and circumstances change things. I know that one day I will know, but I am positive that we have, at some time in our life, entertained angels unaware. And when I think of these things, the stories of you know Abraham and Lot especially come to my mind. You know, Abraham, he's there, he's sitting in the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he sees three men approaching. And he had no idea, at that particular moment, that these three men were two angels and the Lord himself. This shows something of the character of Abraham, doesn't it? How hospitable he was. So he gets up, he runs out, and after inviting them to stay and eat with him, at some point these three beings from another realm make themselves known to Abraham and what the purpose of their visit was. You see, the angels were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they left to do that work, and the Lord stayed to speak with Abraham, and you know the rest of the story. The point is, angels can physically be in our midst, and we not know it. Same with Abraham's nephew Lot. He's sitting at the gate of Sodom in the evening, and he sees two men approaching. He says, listen guys, you don't want to spend the night in the streets here, because there are sexual perverts and deviants that come out at night. And so the two men accept Lot's hospitality to spend the night at his house. But no sooner were they in there when what happens? The men of the town wanted to do those evil things to these two strangers. Lot had no idea that his two guests were angels until what happened? They struck these evil men with blindness. So again, angels are in our midst and aren't known until revealed, if they are revealed. Now I want to share something with you from the book Upward Look. You'll find it on page 84. Upward Upward Look. It tells us some important things about these visitors among us. It's a bit longer, you know, it's a bit longer quote than I normally share, but uh, I want to ask you to please bear with me. It gives us a great insight here. It says here, it says, How few 
contemplate the unseen agencies. Men are acting their part either for God or for Satan, the Prince of Light or the Prince of Darkness. All heaven is intensely interested. I like that part. She doesn't just say all heaven is interested in human beings. She says all heaven is intensely interested in human beings who seem to be so full of activity and yet have no thought for the unseen. Their thoughts are not on the Word of God and its instruction. If they would appropriate the Word of God... Now, I I found that interesting that she would use the word appropriate. And I looked it up because it sounded a little strange to me. Why would you use appropriate? Well, it's appropriate. (laughs) And, and, And I believe she's using it in this sense to mean devote for a special purpose. That's one of the definitions of it. So if they would devote for a special purpose the word of God, they would be astonished that there are agencies, good and evil, observing every word and deed. Now get this. She says they are in every assembly. Not some assemblies, but what? Every assembly. I had to step back a minute and go, wow. They are in every assembly for business transactions, in councils, and in meetings for the worship of God. You know, and sometimes we wonder why our Congress can't seem to get anything done. You know, and when they do, it's usually the wrong thing. I believe it's because you got evil angels there in control, and these people are completely oblivious to these powers of darkness. And same is true for most churches, sad to say. And she goes on, she says, There are more listeners in these public assemblies than can be seen with the natural sight, and every man has his work to do. Those unseen agencies are co-laborers with God or with Satan. And they work more mightily and more constantly than do men. How much? More mightily and more constantly than do men. Sometimes the heavenly intelligences draw aside the curtain that hides the unseen world, that we may have our minds withdrawn from the hurry and rush, and consider that there are witnesses to all we do and say when we are engaged in business or when we think ourselves alone. You ever thought about that? And so are are we ever alone? No. We're never alone. That's what she's saying here. She says the Lord would have our perceptions keen to understand that these mighty ones who visit our world have borne an active part in all the work which we have called our own. These heavenly beings are ministering angels, and they frequently disguise themselves in the form of human beings. As strangers, they converse with those who are engaged in the work of God. In lonely places, they have been the companions of the traveler in peril. In tempest-tossed ships, angels in human form have spoken words of encouragement to allay fear and inspire hope in the hour of danger. And the passengers have thought that it was one of their number to whom they had never before spoken. 
many, under different circumstances, have listened to the voices of the inhabitants of other worlds. They have come to act a part in this life. They have spoken in assemblies and opened before assemblies human histories and have done works which it was impossible for human agencies to do. Time and again have they been the generals of armies. (laughs) To which I said, what? When I read that? They've been generals of armies? Now, I don't know what generals, I don't know, you know, what specific, I should say, generals or, or armies, but that's what it says, isn't it? And so that suggests to me that sometimes they stick around for a while, you know, and, and they're not just here and gone in a few minutes. Now remember, this is in the context of what they do on earth as men and not in heaven as angels. It's fascinating. And she says, they have been sent forth to cleanse away pestilence. They have eaten at the humble board of families. Often they have appeared as weary travelers in need of shelter for the night. And I'll leave you with this from this quote. She says, we need to understand better than we do the work of these angel visitants. So if it's something that we need to understand better, I want to understand better. What about you? You know, it's going to be interesting when we get to heaven to find out, you know, all the times when we've been in the company of angels when we when we hit the replay button of our lives. You know what I mean? But here's another point we need to be aware of also, and it's this. There are evil angels as well as holy angels who have tried to intervene in our lives and in world affairs to bring us down to their level. And as Christians, we haven't been aware of that most of the time. We just haven't. And worldly people that have not experienced conversion have no idea that they are, uh, that they are to a great degree actually controlled by evil angels. Now we are all influenced by good and evil. And some are possessed by evil in the form of demon angels. And it matters, friends, that we understand this because it has eternal consequences one way or the other. When someone violates and I'll get into this in in greater detail later. We talk about possession and stuff. When someone violates the Ten Commandments, they are in a great sense being controlled by evil angels without even realizing it. And we should understand that a person can be possessed by the devil and not foam at the mouth like the demoniacs of Gergesa. Okay? They can even appear to be living a holy life. We're told that those who put Jesus to death, those leaders of Israel, were possessed by the devil. But they supposedly, and they appeared to be living a holy life, didn't they? So a person can look like a Christian and be corrupted heart. In fact, they are corrupted heart if Jesus doesn't abide there. Isn't that true? If Jesus is not in the life, we automatically default to the bent of evil because that's our nature without Christ. And it all depends upon the action of the will. And let me let me share a couple of uh, quotes with you. Um, this is another topic that we'll get into in, in greater detail down the road. But um, 
it all depends upon the action of our will, see, because we've been given freedom of choice. Uh, this first one's from Ministry of Healing, page 176. The tempted one needs to understand the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision, of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. Desires for goodness and purity are right as far as they go, but if we stop here, they avail nothing. Many will go down to ruin while hoping and desiring to overcome their evil propensities. They do not yield the will to God. They do not choose to serve Him. See? Now this, uh, like I said, we start talking about being possessed. Uh, this has, uh, this is probably the heart of the matter. And we'll get into it in, in, in greater detail. But here, let me share this, this second one with you before we move on. It's from the book Steps to Christ, page 47. And you may be familiar with this statement. But she says, Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. But you can choose to serve Him. You can give Him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the Spirit of Christ. Under the control of who? The Spirit of Christ. And not evil angels, not demons. Your affections will be centered upon Him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with Him. And, and like I said, we'll get into more detail about that in the coming weeks when we talk about sin and overcoming it and possession, those kinds of things. But we're all influenced, you see, by one of two powers and can be controlled by either. And I will say this, there are not three powers. <laughs> okay? Just like there are only two churches, friends, not, you know, 389 denominations. Well, there are those denominations. But ultimately, there are only two churches. There are only two powers. It's one or the other. It can't be both at the same time, either. Some people think it can be. But it can't, because God does nothing in cooperation with the devil, does he? In Luke 14.33, Jesus said, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So it has to be all or nothing. The idea that a person can be in a saved condition while living in sin, friends, that's, that's a deception. And it's an outgrowth of this false idea of thinking that, that uh, Jesus and the devil can abide in the heart at the same time. Uh, people who believe that don't understand the will and they don't understand um, the power of God and they don't understand the power of the devil. It's Like I said, it's a deception. And so it's supremely important to understand this when, when nearly the whole professed Christian world uh, has fallen for this lie. And I'll tell you this. Knowing the truth concerning the human nature of Christ will actually clear up a lot of this error. <laughs> okay? If you believe you can be saved in sin, then you have become a part of those 
that the Apostle Paul condemns for not having a love of the truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the truth. You find that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this is rather interesting. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12, Paul said, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And we got to remember that, especially for us, we're reading a translation from the Greek into English, which... Um, Greek being very descriptive, English not so much. Um, He said that they should believe a lie. I found this interesting. Uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary is speaking about that, a lie. It says, a lie is better translated, the lie, which Antichrist tells them, appealing to his miracles as proofs of it. Um, F.D. Nichol. In the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary also says it is better rendered the lie. That is, he says, the crowning deception when Satan impersonates Christ. There can be no worse lie than this that the author of evil should pose as Christ, the source of truth. Those who are deluded into thinking, thinking Satan to be Jesus are beyond redemption. So, you know, as as Paul said there in verse twelve, you know, having pleasure in unrighteousness, which is sin, and believing you are saved while doing it, friends, is what leads to the ultimate deception, the lie, when Satan impersonates Christ. And millions of professed Christians are being fooled by the lie that you can be saved while committing sin, loving pleasure more than loving God. Let me back this up a little bit. Review and Herald, April 3rd, 1888. Prophet says, The time is coming when Satan will work miracles right in your sight, claiming that he is Christ. And if your feet are not firmly established upon the truth of God, then you will be led away from your foundation. Remember what we read earlier about the pillars, the foundations, the signposts? Here's another one, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 698. She says, In the last days he, Satan, will appear in such a manner as to make men believe him to be Christ come the second time into the world. He will indeed transform himself into what? An angel of light. But while he will bear the appearance of Christ in every particular, so far as mere appearance goes, it will deceive none but those who are seeking to resist the truth. Very, very interesting, isn't it? So that lie, you begin to believe that lie, and it leads to the ultimate deception, doesn't it? God's holy angels have a very speci- uh, uh, have very specific duties to perform in order to save us from destruction and to help us develop um, like I mentioned before, a holy character, right? That God can take to heaven. And there are opposite forces trying to prevent that from happening. And friends, by the choices we make every day, we are cooperating with one side or the other. 
And, and like I said, our choices are controlled by our will. And a wrong action of the will can invite possession. Again, more on that in another study. Um, but something struck me last night as listening to Pastor Brooks. And, and I mean, he put, a, he put it on the line there. When we sin, basically, and it just broke my heart when I think about me sinning. When we sin, the devil's our buddy. Pastor Brooks went through and, and shared, you know, these things that we don't think mean much. And, and when you think about it, when you're doing them, you're making the devil your buddy. He said, that's your buddy. I trembled the thought that the devil being my buddy. God has given us the ministry of angels to help save us and to help us understand that all heaven is interested in our salvation, that he has, actually he's held nothing back in an effort to, to see us saved and in his kingdom. Hebrews 1 verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And this makes it very clear that all the holy angels are what? They're ministering spirits. Isn't that what it says there? That's why we're told that when Christ came to this world, all heaven was poured out in that one great gift of himself. God himself came to us in Christ. And not only that, but in that one great gift. I mean, think of it this way too. All the help that the holy angels can give is included. And of course the Holy Spirit. But that's a different subject. You know, we can talk about it another time. But I will say this. It's very difficult sometimes to know the difference between the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of holy angels when you really think about it. And the reason for this is because they work so closely together that it's difficult to discern the difference at times. And it's also very important, don't get me wrong, it's very important for us to understand that we have a part to play when it comes to how the angels, both good and bad, can help or hinder the progress we need to make in order to walk you know, that narrow way to the kingdom. For instance, as I mentioned before, if we knowingly go where God has told us not to go, we are limiting the ministry of holy angels on our behalf. And not only are we limiting their ministry, but we are enhancing what evil angels can do to bring us down. Like Pastor Brooks said, he's our buddy. I don't want the devil to be my buddy. I'm not his buddy sickens me when you think about it. In the book Early Writings, pages 124 to 125, we're given a good example of how this works. I want to share it with you. Early Writings, pages 124 and 125, right in that area. Listen to what it says. I was shown the necessity of those who believe that we are having the last message of mercy being separate from those who are daily imbibing new errors. I saw that neither young nor old should attend their meetings. 
for it is wrong to thus encourage them. You get that? No, so we may think, oh yeah, I'll go listen and I'll sort out and I'll I'll ignore the error, you know, and I'll pay attention to the truth. But in reality, what are you actually doing? It's not so much about us. It is about us, but it's also about them as well. Because we do what when we do that? We encourage them. And this is what she says. For it is wrong to thus encourage them while they teach error that is a deadly poison to the soul and teach for doctrines the commandments of men. You know, I've had people uh, at times say, well, I go to church on the Sabbath and Sunday. Uh, Sorry, friends. That's wrong. That's a sin. God has shown you the truth of the Sabbath and you do both. It's wrong because you encourage them in their error and you help spread the poison. She says, The influence of such gatherings is not good. If God has delivered us from such darkness and error, we should stand fast in the liberty wherewith He has set us free and rejoice in the truth. And friends, I'll say, even if we have to worship at home by ourselves, amen? Which many of us do. God is displeased with us when we go to listen to error without being obliged to go. For unless he sends us to those meetings where error is forced home to the people by the power of the will, he will not keep us. You've heard me say before, in this great controversy that we're in, there are rules of engagement. And it all comes down to the action of our will. It's really amazing. It's amazing the gift that God gave us when he created us. She says, The angels cease their watchful care over us, and we are left to the buffetings of the enemy. It's not neutral ground then, is it? Remember Jesus said one side or the other. You have to give up everything if you want to follow me. There is no neutral ground. So, you know, you go to some place where God has not obliged you to go, He will not keep us, she says. The angels cease their watchful care over us. And it just doesn't end there. Then we're left without a guard, aren't we? We're left to the buffetings of the enemy. To be darkened and weakened by him and the power of his evil angels. And the light around us becomes contaminated with the darkness. Interesting visuals there. I saw that we have no time to throw away in listening to fables. Our minds should not be thus diverted, but should be occupied with the present truth and seeking wisdom that we may obtain a more thorough knowledge of our position, that with meekness we may be able to give a reason of our hope from the scriptures. While false doctrines and dangerous errors are pressed upon the mind, it cannot be dwelling upon the truth which is to fit and prepare the house of Israel to stand in the day of the Lord. And so friends, you know, the the holy angels that we need so much, she says, will cease their watchful care over us when we go where we know God doesn't want us to go. And this happens every time we needlessly place ourselves in the way of temptation. Have you thought about that? 
or give in to the various temptations that Satan and evil, evil angels can invent. And here we see uh, the same principle at work that we were just talking about a moment ago. Not only can Jesus and the devil not abide in the same heart at the same time, but the holy angels can't help us when we knowingly decide to follow the suggestion of evil angels. Holy and evil does not mix. Light and darkness does not mix. And by the way, I'm sure you you realize this, but you probably never thought a whole lot about it. The evil angels have been dogging our steps all of our lives, and they know where our weak points are. They know all about our past sins because they've been instrumental in causing us to fall. And they are constantly tempting us to repeat our past mistakes or inventing new ways to tempt us to do wrong. That's what they do. But you know what the good news is? The good news is holy angels also know all about us. And they're there to help us resist the evil and choose the good. And here, I believe, is an encouraging point. Holy angels are stronger than evil angels. And they proved that when war broke out in heaven, didn't they? What happened to the evil angels? Didn't the Bible say they were cast out? And so now the holy angels are in the majority How many went with the devil? We're told a third, aren't we? That means there's two-thirds still in heaven, loyal to God, working as ministering spirits to those who are heirs to, to the kingdom. The problem is, for us... Uh, these evil angels were cast into the earth, and that's why we have them to contend with. But I want you to remember, and don't ever forget this, friends. Remember that holy angels, they excel in strength, and we can have them on our side if we so choose. We can choose the strong and righteous, invisible army, and then we can tell the losers to take a hike. And if we're one with Christ, you know, they have to obey. That's what God says. James 4, 7. We know what this says. We're familiar with this, aren't we? Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's the first step, isn't it? Resist the devil and he will flee. What? He will flee from you. He has to. Because that's God's word. And if we have enough faith to believe it, it's so, friends. So be encouraged by that. I think if we were more aware that uh, holy angels are watching us and keeping track of all our words and actions and even able to read our thoughts, which evil angels can't do, uh, I think we might be more careful in what we say. And what we do, you know, where we go, and what we allow ourselves to think about. Don't you think that? I mean, think of it. When you are tempted to commit the sin, we all have those temptations, friends. Every one of us. I'm a human being like anyone else. 
when when you're tempted to commit the sin that so easily besets you, and you realize that the eyes of holy angels are upon you when you're about to yield to it, don't you think that would give you a little more strength and reason not to do whatever it is you know you shouldn't do? Put it this way, if another human being was in the same room with you when you're tempted to do what you do when no one else is around, don't you think that would help you to resist it? Well, of course it would. That happens all the time. Well, your guardian angel is there, and perhaps other angels, all the time. And an awareness of that should give us incentive to be very careful, don't you think? And, of course, love for God should be our motivating factor before anything else. But in times of weakness, it doesn't hurt to have a sense of angel presence. You know what I mean? If we go to God when we're tempted to speak or act in a wrong way or or go someplace we know we shouldn't go and ask Him in faith for strength, God's promise is He's going to give it to us. Isn't that what you want, friends? You can have it if you choose to submit to God, as James was saying, and allow the holy angels to work in your behalf when you're tempted, rather than yield to those evil angels, those demons' suggestions. Let me share this with you. It's Manuscript 49, written in 1897. It says, All heaven is watching the strivings of every individual soul under every temptation by which men and women shall be beset. If they will resist the temptation, if they will not yield on any point, Satan cannot have the victory. In the books of heaven will stand registered against your name that on such a day Satan sought to overthrow and ensnare one of my redeemed ones, but the tempted one looked to me. That's a capital M, Jesus. But the tempted one looked to me, the conqueror, and I gave him or her angels to press back the powerful foe. Also, I read something very encouraging while I was reading through early writings. Let me share this with you. It's about the shaking time and the death decree, which is yet future, but we're right there at that time, friends. And I'd like to read it to you. It's early writings, pages uh, 269 to 270, around in there. It says, I saw some with strong faith and agonizing cries pleading with God. Their countenances were pale and marked with deep anxiety, expressive of their internal struggle. Firmness and great earnestness was expressed in their countenances. Large drops of perspiration fell from their foreheads. Now and then, their faces would light up with the marks of God's approbation, and again the same solemn, earnest, anxious look would settle upon them. Evil angels, get this, evil angel angels crowded around, pressing darkness upon them to shut out what? To shut out Jesus from their view, she says. That their eyes might be drawn to the darkness that surrounded them, and thus they be led to distrust God and murmur against Him. Their only safety, and here's a key, mark it down, remember it, 
Their only safety was in keeping their eyes directed upward. This is why I often say, friends, I'll end the statement or conversation, I'll say, keep looking up. Keep looking up. Their only safety was in keeping their eyes directed upward. Angels of God had charge over his people, and as the poisonous atmosphere of evil angels was pressed around these anxious ones, the heavenly angels, this is, you remember we talked before about being surrounded by darkness? She says the heavenly angels were continually wafting their wings over them to scatter the thick darkness. Isn't that a great picture of what happens when we're in a spiritual struggle? When temptation comes, when evil angels are trying to press darkness all around you, friends, you need to pray. And while you're praying, visualize the holy angels hovering over you, wafting their wings to scatter the darkness, kind of like a a thick cloud of smoke that gets carried away by a strong wind. And I believe as we think about these things and and by faith connect with the unseen world with our our spiritual eyesight, as Paul was saying, and and realize there's help for, for the asking, it will go a long way in defeating the designs of the enemy that wants us to share in his own misery, which is what he wants. In fact, he wants to kill us. Um, we don't have to give in to evil when we know all heaven is at our disposal. Beloved, we just got to believe. Listen to this. This is from a Review and Herald article, August 5th, 1890. Scarcely any of us realize that angels are about us. And these precious angels, who minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation, are saving from us many, many temptations and difficulties. What are they doing? They're saving us from all these temptations. They're keeping some temptations away from us. And some difficulties. Because they're in battle with these evil angels. She says the whole family of heaven is interested in the families here below and how thankful we should be for this interest manifested for us day and night. Even while we're sleeping. And I'm thankful, aren't you? I... I don't think we realize most of the time that these angels, these precious angels are there for us 24-7. Because they don't sleep. You remember how it says in Isaiah 40 that those who wait upon the Lord shall run and not be weary and they, they shall walk and not faint. Remember that? That's how the angels feel all the time. They're always on alert. They're always ready for action. They're never unaware of what's going on. And I'll tell you another thing you may not know. Every Christian, every Christian who dies and comes up in the first resurrection, did you know this? They will meet their guardian angel first thing, even before they meet Jesus. This is from the book Education, page 305. Every redeemed one will understand the ministry of angels in his own life. We don't right now. 
Because it's that spiritual world that we cannot see. We just see the physical around us. And it's just another dimension. It is physical too. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. You know, we just can't see that, that dimension. But one day we will know. She says, every redeemed one will understand the ministry of angels in his own life. The angel who was his guardian from his earliest moment. The angel who watched his steps and covered his head in the day of peril. The angel who was with him in the valley of the shadow of death. Who marked his resting place. Think of that. Do you think these are uncaring beings? who marked his resting place, who was, this is what she says, who was the first to greet him in the resurrection morning. What will it be to hold converse with him and to learn the history of divine interposition in the individual life? It's incredible. I've read statements where we will recognize our guardian angel. It's incredible. And I praise God for their ministry. I praise God for my guardian angel and for your guardian angel. And not that they're they're robots, but they have love and compassion. And they do it because they love Jesus and they do it because they love us, as he does. Oh, friends, we have great things to look forward to. Not only will it be a thrill for us on resurrection morning to see the face of our very own guardian angel, that is, you know, of course, unless we're translated without seeing death when Jesus returns, but I think it'll be a thrill for them as well, don't you think? How could it be otherwise? And there's no reason why we... Uh, will not also have a special relationship with that angel for all eternity. Think about that. And so, yes, a guardian angel is appointed to every follower of Christ, and these heavenly beings shield us from the power of, of the evil angels. I mean, even Satan recognized this. We find it in the book of Job. Notice what... Satan said to God in Job chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him? What do you think that hedge was made of? Hmm? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. And I say, praise the Lord. Because he does the same for us. Psalms 37 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear God and he delivers them. One day when Jesus was with his disciples, they asked him who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure hoping he would say, you know, that they would be. But you know what he did? Instead, he called the little child to him and he told his disciples that they needed to be converted <laughs> and become his little children if they even wanted to be there. 
And in Matthew 18, verse 10, he also said this to them. He said, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father. And friends, this goes for us older children as well. I mean, how many times did the Apostle John refer to the adults he wrote to as little children? Over and over again, right? And that tells me that the angels are appointed to minister to all the children of God, no matter their age. And these angels always have access, what? To the Father's presence. That's what Jesus was saying. Remember when... <coughs> excuse me. Remember when Jacob had his dream and he... He saw a ladder that connected earth with heaven, and he saw what on that ladder? He saw the angels of God, didn't he? Ascending and descending upon it. Well, what do they do that for? What's the significance of going up and down that ladder? Well, we know that the latter represents Jesus who has made that connection uh, between heaven and earth by becoming a human being, you know, with a fallen nature like ours and sacrificing his life for us. But what are the angels doing as they pass up and down? Have you ever thought about it? Acts of the Apostles, page 153. She says, Heaven is brought near to earth by that mystic ladder the base of which is firmly planted on the earth, while the topmost round reaches the throne of the infinite. So it doesn't just go to heaven, it goes to the throne of God. Angels are constantly ascending and descending. So they're ascending and descending this ladder, she says, of shining brightness, bearing the prayers of the needy and distress to the Father above, and bringing blessing and hope, courage and help to the children of men. These angels of light create a heavenly atmosphere about the soul, lifting us toward the unseen and the eternal. We cannot behold their forms with our natural sight. Only by spiritual vision can we discern heavenly things. So not only do the angels carry our petitions to the Father's throne, but they do it at a speed faster than lightning. We don't understand how they can do it so fast. But as soon as our prayer is uttered, that prayer reaches the, the Father's ears instantly. And it's answered. In one way or another. No. Because holy angels can read our minds and thoughts. They're allowed to. Because they minister for us. For our salvation. Well, friends, what... One day, very, very soon, we're going to know all about how that happens. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, Truly, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Psalms 91 was written especially for those who'd be living in the last days. And I want to end... Uh, our time together with these most encouraging words. I want to read to you Psalm 91 um, as I, I close up here. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
And friends, the Bible makes it clear that God Himself is our hiding place. And, and we access Him through what? Through prayer, don't we? Especially in our prayer closet. So he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers. Wings. Birds' wings have feathers, don't they? Angels have wings, don't they? He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, that's the snake. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Beloved, in these verses is a most wonderful description of the coming of the Lord to bring the wickedness of the wicked to an end and to give to those who have chosen Jesus as their Redeemer the assurance of His love and and protecting care. And we ought to be thankful for promises like this because one day soon, you know, friends, we're going to see it all come to pass. So when you're tempted to think you're all alone in the world and that, that you're outnumbered by the enemy, think of the time when Elijah prayed to the Lord to open the eyes of his frightened servant. In 2 Kings 6, verses 16 and 17, this is where you find it. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. You see, they happen to be surrounded at the time. And his servant was scared. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Friends, we need to realize that as children of God, we are actually in the majority, even when it looks like we're not. And believe me, more and more it's beginning to look like we are not, doesn't it? And the thing is, it's only going to get worse. And we know that. But if we will try to view things which are with our, our, our spiritual eyesight and pray for a glimpse of that other dimension that we can't see, 
we will be much more encouraged to keep pressing on the upward way no matter what happens. You've heard me, I think, say this before. It may appear that we're alone, but we are never alone. Because when you're with Jesus, you have all heaven on your side. If we prize the things that are eternal more than the temporal, and the things that are not seen more than the things that are seen, we will be able to hold on without letting go of the Lord's arm. There is indeed a supernatural, paranormal force that exists. That exists. The truth is indeed out there, friends. And I hope you'll take away from this study the truth that there are heavenly agencies that surround you to protect and guide you safely on your way to those heavenly mansions that Jesus has gone to prepare for each one of us. I know that I'm looking forward to seeing my guardian angel on that great day of God. And I hope you are looking forward to that day when you will meet your guardian angel too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you as sinners in need of saving. We often walk around each day indifferent to a lot of the things around us. And we pray that you forgive us for this. We should never be indifferent to the ministry of the angels and for your love towards us. And we humbly ask that our eyes may be opened. Open to the truth that's in your word. Open to the truth of, of this battle we're in. And the truth that tells us we need to be changed. Our character needs to be in line with yours. And so we humbly ask for that spirit, that Holy Spirit to be given to each one of us to cleanse us and to help us in our walk. We thank you for the ministry of angels. We pray that you will send angels that excel in strength to be with each one of us. To fight the, the forces of evil that surround us. For each one of your children are under attack constantly and we need your help we thank you so much for the Sabbath day that we can come together and rest from uh, the weary battles that we have each week we pray that you will bless us as you've promised and again Lord not because we're worthy in any way not even close but our Savior Jesus is and we ask these favors in his blessed name because he's worthy Amen.